What's going on, people? Um, this is Adam with Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin during a zombie apocalypse, armed with only food, water, and a crank-powered Victrola. Um, today we've got Stealth from the Lumineers, and I think it's the longest episode that we've had, partly because we have a, a lot of mutual friends and... Uh, Colorado history to cover and partly because our chat was basically two dads hanging out on a Friday night at home maybe relishing a, a little bit of escape. Um, Stealth told me some amazing stories from his life in, in music uh, which started in Colorado and, and took him around the world in, including on a, a famous boat ride that we'll talk about. But uh, before we get to my chat with Stealth, I want to say thanks to everybody who's been listening to Mile High Stash. Um, uh, please do drop a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, it really does go a long way. And uh, get in touch via milehighstash um, at gmail.com with any questions or concerns. I love concerns. I'm a very concerned individual. Um, I'm also happy to announce a partnership with uh, 105.5 The Colorado Sound, um, a radio station you can hear from peak to peak highway through the streets of Denver and and beyond, really. Uh, with The Colorado Sound, um, which you can listen to online in your car or you know maybe even in your zombie apocalypse cabin. Um, what they've done for Colorado music is so incredible and and i not only urge everyone to listen to the great uh, diverse music my friends uh, who are djs uh on the colorado sound play but also i urge bands all over the country really but especially colorado to run to their computers and send their uh, original tunes to the colorado sound because if it's good they'll play it and you won't sit around anymore wondering why you have this great music that nobody knows about so listen to the Colorado Sound, but also send them your own music. Um, speaking of radio, I was listening to the radio this morning with my kid, and really two songs in a row came on that were phony. It's really harsh, but they were fucking phony. Um, I said out loud, uh, both of these artists seem like totally normal people, and that's fine, but they're trying to be... And my kid <laughs> finished the sentence, which made me so happy. My kid said, quirky. They're trying to be quirky. I love my kid. But the point is that stealth from the Lumineers is intelligent, funny, genuine, and really sincerely quirky. Uh, he's a Colorado native, and he's somebody who understands that a Daniel Johnston or a paleo or just sometimes some crazy talent that you see busking on Pearl Street can be as important as the Beatles or, you know, the Lumineers. I like the fact that Stealth knows how talented he is on his own, but appreciates that he's found what he calls a sweet spot for the last decade, playing keys and accordion for the Lumineers at huge venues 
around the world and uh, playing a, a, a vital role that he calls hype man. That's that's really funny to me because it undervalues what stealth brings to the Lumineers. But it's also true. <laughs> Every band needs at least one person who's going to ensure that the crowd knows it's a show. Some bands don't even seem to know they're playing a show and not a recital. <laughs> give us give us an evening that reminds us we're alive. That's that's what music's supposed to do. And Lumineer's shows would not be nearly as entertaining without stealth. He was also one of three front people in a beloved but unfortunately short-lived Colorado band called Dovekins that everyone around here remembers as one of the best live bands we've ever seen. It was just electric. Dovekins reunited a few years ago right before the pandemic, like literally a month or two before the pandemic for one magical show in Denver. And I hope that happens again. Stealth is playing solo at the Chautauqua Community House in Boulder Sunday, February 12th. And his side project with his wife uh, um, is called Heavy Gus. And uh, uh, they've been playing a, a lot of shows lately too. They're more rock oriented and it's really fun. Um, Heavy Gus will be playing April 29th at Mackey Auditorium in Boulder as part of the Bluebird Festival. And Stealth and Heavy Gus have a bunch of other dates coming up. So look them up online. Here is my conversation with Stealth uh, Ulvang of uh, uh, the Lumineers. If Stealth and I mention some Colorado names that you're not familiar with, like Steve Varney or a Griff Snyder, or Jeb Bowes, well, those are some rabbit holes for you to go down wherever you listen to stuff. But first, actually, some words about Colorado Mushrooms, the sponsor of this episode. These mushrooms are miraculous, and they're as beautiful as they are tasty. And I'm glad I got my chef friend, Bob, from Savory Cuisines to try uh, Colorado Mushrooms recently, and he was as amazed as me. Um, ask your favorite restaurant if they've got Colorado mushrooms because they should. Colorado Mushrooms is a Brighton-based farm-to-chef operation that was founded in 2019 by two friends who have quickly found a home for their exquisitely tasty mushrooms at beloved Colorado restaurants all along the Front Range. More than half of the mushrooms in the United States come from Pennsylvania and can be weeks old before they reach your plate, but Colorado Mushrooms are often served same-day fresh. Ask your favorite restaurants if they serve Colorado Mushrooms, which include Blue Oyster, Lion's Mane, Black King, Piopinos, and more. Get in touch at coloradomushroomsllc.com or find Colorado Mushrooms on Facebook and Instagram. It's an exciting Friday night, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's, qu- it's quite not. Oh, Do you have yeah. kids? I have one kid and I've been a new kid. Do you have a new kid? No, they are 
13 as of this week, actually. I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, what about you? They as in twins or they as in gender non-binary? They as in uh, militant non-binary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Man, all those all those twins people with the same birthday. Yeah. Uh, their birthday is February 18th. Um, it's got to be tough. But that's awesome. Seems like uh, yeah. it's time to be rocking it for a, for a kiddo. I actually remember when uh, they were turning two and we Dubkins were around at that time and also Hohei. What is the title? The title's Hohei, right? Okay. Yeah, that was like the hit at the time. Yeah. 2012 yeah. that was 10 years ago too that makes sense okay yeah yeah uh, yeah dovkins were just finding their end in 2011 yeah um but you know yeah. we'll 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 be back around and also there's a new project heavy guns um, what's the story behind this it's my wife and i's band yeah what's your wife's name dorota shuta Maybe Dorota Olvang like my name, but we haven't figured that out yet. We've been married for four years. What about your, is your kid in the band too? No, <laughs> it's not a family band. Thank God. Right. So what does it sound like? What's the, what? Uh, oh, what's... so yeah. Have you guys, I mean, let's just, yeah, we can start just the, the fresh and we'll go in, we'll just go nostalgia after this, but right. have you guys is like my wife and I met at the Dovkins album release show at the Mercury cafe in 2009 or 10 and uh i want to say nine now 2010 and um we were both in folk bands and we both really loved we we drove together on that tour and we did a bunch of shows together and we were just friends at this point but we were falling yeah. in love etc cetera, etc cetera. um and we both were just loving Built to Spill and Pavement. And it's funny that even for being together for basically 10 years after that, we still only played folk music, but the music we bonded on most. So only over the pandemic were we just like learning a bunch of these old tunes that we kind of fell in love with, mm -hmm. that we started writing them amongst each other with, with each other and basically made a like... <laughs> vibey desert surf grunge record so it's more rock than the stuff that you generally do so much more rock there, yeah. there there's a couple folk songs on there and they are um uh clearly uh yeah that history of ours but just there's just two one of us each put a folk song on there kind of but otherwise it's all it's all rock yeah. drums heavy drums almost pop punk at times you're going to play in Boulder in April? Is that what you were saying? We're playing at the uh, Bluebird Music Festival. At, oh, awesome. Um, I don't know where they do that, Mackie. Or... Well, they have a winter version of it now in um, uh, Lafayette, Longmont. And, and and the one that you're talking about is at Mackie Auditorium in Boulder. And it's great. Yeah. Yeah. So we're playing April at the end of April, April 29 or something. Yeah. Who sings on the song um, Go Girl? Uh, that's also my wife. I thought so. As you were saying that, 
that was one of the questions I had written on, on my nerdy little sheet here, you know, cause that's I love a, it. That's a band camp song, right? That's, yeah. I don't think that's up on, um, Oh, that might be on Spotify. No, I think it's sure. on all the stuff. Okay. But one of my, one of my questions was, uh, that's one of my favorite things that I've heard you do. And it doesn't say on the track who sings on it. Shit. I really should. <laughs> I should fix that. Don't <laughs> you probably? You probably right. should. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's her. We recorded that album in that song in South Africa. Wow, um, our South African contingent of a band, and uh, yeah, I think my wife's singing on every song on that. Um, maybe is it that record? Yeah, um, that little EP that we put out in South mm-hmm. Africa. Um, that was kind of the beginning of what became now heavy gus that song's not on there but it is very similar but instead of me singing kind of the lead taking the lead mm-hmm. she's singing every other part but she's singing all of the songs in heavy gus um she has and, a great voice she reminds me of esme patterson actually ah uh, they voice. finally became friends oh yeah yeah that's they, they their voices definitely both have have um their own character yeah. and uh they can get gritty and can get sweet. They have right. a lot of play there. Yeah. I love Esme's voice. Yeah. And my wife's voice. <laughs> I'm going to go back and all the way back. I don't know anything about where you're from or what your history was, how you ended up in Colorado. So where were you born? Uh, Fort Collins, Poudre Valley. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where Are you from Colorado? From Pittsburgh, and I've um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and then San Francisco. But I, I've been love Pittsburgh. <laughs> well, the main thing about Pittsburgh is that it's really cool and it's super cheap because nobody knows that it's cool. So don't say that. You know, don't say that you like it. Okay. Just oh yeah, it's just... well. Look, neither of us are living there, so there must be something <laughs> wrong with the place. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the it's the the weather. It's pretty bad weather. Yeah, yeah. So but, uh, real hip vibe. Um, for my dad's from Pittsburgh. Oh yeah, really? Who ended up in Fort Collins? Yeah. Steelers fan? No, he hates sports. Oh wow, doesn't sound like he's really from Pittsburgh. <laughs> he's he's a Carnegie fan. Oh, CMU. He is a you know yeah. he's deep, not not uh sorry not Carnegie the college. He's a Carnegie fan of the person. The person. Mm, he might not be a fan of the person, but his, our family, mm-hmm. deep, deep family history, a le- uh, quick lesson. Can I do this really quick? This they, is what we're doing. Go back okay. all the way back. They, um, great grandfather was, ended up in Pittsburgh as a German immigrant mm-hmm. at, and was learning organ at a school there for like church organ. Yeah. And, um, was friends with, uh, Andrew Carnegie, oh, wow. grandfather, and they played chess together. And uh, Carnegie basically uh, um, Carnegie uh, commissioned him to to perform an organ uh, recital once a week uh, forever. He did this for like forty years. Wow, non secular or like non necessarily non-church music because organ was always just only heard in church so he was like basically my great-grandfather was at one point like one of the leading non-secular church organists in the world 
And then his son, my grandfather, uh, grew up in Pittsburgh, grew up playing organ, brought one of the largest pipe organs to Pittsburgh and set it up in St. John's Cathedral, I think, up on the hill. So it's still there. Still there. Yeah. And that is his uh, organ that he brought over from Leipzig, Germany. Have you seen uh, it? Yes. So I didn't meet my father till I was 21. Wow. And even though he lived in Fort Collins and I was born there and all that. um, And when I met him, there was only a two-year crossover where his mother, my grandmother, was alive. And she told me everything I could know about my family history in those two years where we only hung out half a dozen times. What a Uh, gift. Because my grandfather had already passed. He died without knowing that I existed. Um, But my grandmother met me for 96 to 98. That's how old she was when we knew each other. Um, And she had a really spry mind, loved gin and tonics, but just was like so frail. Yeah. And she was a piano player in Pittsburgh and she taught upright bass and piano to the blind. I think there's a school for the blind there. That's in Oakland too, I believe. Okay. In the um, Oakland neighborhood. This makes sense. So yeah, this was the, yeah, yeah. where they all live. This is the neighborhood. And mm-hmm. she she worked at the school her whole life, basically being a music teacher to the blind. And I didn't know any of this my whole life. Um, so I meet my grandmother and I only have two years with her, barely. And I get all these details and she tells me about this church, um, St. Paul. Now I don't want to say it's St. Paul's Cathedral. Um, I could look it up. Um and anyway, I'm passing through there in 2012, at this point, jumping ahead with the Lumineers. Yeah. My grandma is dead. She died then in 2009. And I, uh, I'm i like, oh, I should go check out this, this, uh, this cathedral and check out this organ. So I go up there and I, and I sleep outside the church because I know that when, it, when, when the music starts... I'm just sleeping behind some bushes in a sleeping bag on tour. Everybody else is sleeping at a friend's house. And I um, wake up the next day and uh, I had missed the one morning mass that had the organ. Um, and I missed the six 6.30 mass and it's a 7.15 already. And I'm like, fuck. And the next one's starting at like 7.30 or 7.45 or something. And I run up there and I was like, did I miss the organist? Is he still here? And they're like, I'm so sorry. The organist called in sick. Oh. There's a temp coming in today, and so the 6.30 mass was actually skipped, and he's doing the mass now, today. Right? So I was like, this is crazy. This is perfect. So I, I go up, and I kind of hide in this spot where I can just watch the organ. I'm like hiding in this, like up in the pulpit, and the guy sets up, and I'm just kind of like perched there, real creepy, like um, I could have killed him, and nobody would have known. And he... Uh, plays this beautiful mass, all the church music, la la la, hallelujah. And uh, I did not grow up Catholic, by the way, but they did. Anyway, the church service ends. The man, at some point, is fear- I might have coughed or whatever. Anyway, he he comes over and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? You can't be, you know, hiding back here. And I'm like, listen, I'm so sorry. I really just wanted to watch someone play this organ and I had, I didn't have enough time to set this up. And so I just wanted to, you know, basically like sit, it wasn't so tidy, but it was just like perched in this spot where I was. You like, surprised him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was like, what you, you could have just, you know, asked or whatever. And I was like, look, I'm only passing through town for the day. I wanted to see this organ. I'd heard about it because apparently my grandfather had brought it here and the guy almost goes white and he grabs me 
by the shoulder and he's like, is your name Stealth? And I was like, immediately spooked. I'm like, yeah, how do you, how do you know my name? He's like, because, you know, your, your grandfather only had one child and apparently nobody had ever met him. And I'd only heard your name a few times from your grandmother before she passed. I had moved. This is what this guy tells me. Yeah. I had moved to Pittsburgh to study under your grandfather. And I know everything about him his whole life. And so where it was interesting, where my grandma had kind of dissipated from uh, my life, this man, this organ player suddenly came into it and him and I have stayed in touch and I've learned so much about my family history from this man, from this one meeting where he was the temp too. He's not even usually at that church anymore, but he yeah. was called in uh, randomly that morning because the other guy got sick and he had all these you know, organ pamphlets and books and sheet music of my grand my grandparents and all this stuff. And he was just giving me stuff. And I didn't expect any of this. I just wanted to hear the church play. So anyway, yeah. that great grandfather, Casper Coke was his name. Uh that's who we named our our baby boy off of. Oh, that's great. How old is Casper? One and a half. Um that's how I got his name. One great, great grandfather organist. That is all to say, <laughs> I don't remember where that story came from, but uh, Pittsburgh, that's right. This is my only tie is I never really knew much about it yeah. except for going there. And now there's this, this organist there that can teach me everything I want to know about my family history. That's wonderful. My dad's no good at it. Yeah. So um, I don't want to get too personal, but ever since... You met your dad at 21. Yeah. Have you developed a good relationship? Yes, I have. And I, he's a good he's a good man. Mm. And that surprised me. I had every other right. reason to hate him, you know? Right. Even years after I'd, uh, you know, when I was dating Dorota, she had no good, she was not going to give him any benefit of the doubt. Right, right. I'd be like, no, he's a good guy. Let's go have dinner. She'd be like, fuck this guy. And went into it with with a little more of an attitude, you know, kind of would test him if he was going to have to be a good dude, he was going to have to prove himself. Yeah, that's fair. But he's a good man, just was confused. And his wife is fantastic. Yeah. And um, I know that people say blah, 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 the better half, but mm. definitely makes it easier to me of like, for me to have uh, developed a relationship with him, I think to have someone on his in his court that's kind of pressuring him and pre and people pressuring me to yeah had, had, when we had met because otherwise i don't know if it would have happened so gracefully at least um, that happens sometimes that that somebody is an estranged father or or uh, i guess i could talk about my own life but even an estranged grandfather and all of a sudden uh, they have a partner who says what do you mean like you don't see your kid or your grandkid and, and that makes them go oh oh yeah better do that yeah whatever it takes you know absolutely yeah um so <laughs> bless her for that yeah tell me about stealth in fort collins as a kid and of uh, getting into music um, at the youngest age you can remember well, so then I, I, I bounced back and forth. I was kind of living in Washington sometimes with my grandparents because single mother stuff. I was going yeah. there where they lived. Um, and then I was ending up in Loveland is kind of where I I ended in high school. 
mm-hmm. all my years in Loveland in uh, to Mountain View High School. And uh, I loved music. And I was in my senior year in like eight of my nine classes in the last semester were music classes and like an economics class that was a prerequisite to graduate that I think I graduated with a D in. But you uh, passed. But I passed. So I was able mm-hmm. to graduate with just the lowest cheap one. Point one two five, I think, was my GPA. Well, that's um, great that you had a high school where you could you could take that many music classes. Yeah, that's awesome. And I don't know. Only a couple. There were a couple teachers who I still stay in touch with, who I don't think completely bailed on me. Um, my music teacher and I didn't have like the greatest rapport. Mm-hmm. I had a better relationship with like my English teacher or my history teacher or my um my theater teacher. So they were the ones, you know, I wasn't in their classes and I was like a bad student and I was, mm. you know, home troubles, et cetera. I was a little punk ass shit, um, mean to my sweet mom and that kind of trash as a, as a kid. Um, but when I left home, I tried to go to, a community college in Fort Collins. I tried to go to Greeley for music. UNC. Mm-hmm. UNC, exactly. And just hate why after hating school for four years, did I want to try to do more school? Yeah. Um. So I basically just bummed around with my friends mm-hmm. and traveled and got into hitchhiking and got into hopping trains and got into. You hopped a boat too. I hopped a boat. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're jumping the gun on the story. <laughs> yeah, you know there. I don't know how much little, time. Little fast forward. Um, but what was your I, first band that you were ever in? I started a I started a punk uh kind of venue with my friends in Fort Collins. What was it and called? It was called the Plumber. It was the Plumber Schoolhouse, this big old historic schoolhouse on uh, Vine and Timberline, and um, we we lived there for a year and set up so many shows and we had kind of set up stuff with um laura goldhammer who i'm sure mm-hmm. you know yep um denver's own i don't know if she still lives there i think so directly but in and out yeah. um but she's still in the area and uh so she would set up shows at the spot the brook center in denver and i would and then we would kind of pass bands along to each other so then it, all of a sudden when bands were touring uh and we were both into similar music they'd come and play at the brook center she'd be like hey do you have an extra night that they can play at the um schoolhouse and vice versa mm-hmm. i'd be like oh you should check out this spot so her band came and played that's when i met macon terry who i'm maybe you know macon i've heard this name before the bassist he now plays with the river arkansas and he yes neighbor bird and he yes. played okay mm-hmm. um and do you remember the shift too? Was was that an era of Boulder that you existed in, which was like Jeremy Averett and? Uh, I remember seeing Dubkins um, at, at at some iteration of Dubkins at Astroland. Do you remember Astroland? Yes. Yeah, it was one of those great places that existed for a year. I don't know, but it was fantastic. Yeah, awesome. You know, which I'm sure your spot in Fort Collins, you know, similar. Kind of thing. Similar vibe. We mm-hmm. similar to like the church. There was a bit of um, 
it was like punks that we all made sit crisscross applesauce and be fucking quiet when sets played. And we still just got like punk bands to come play, but everybody had to be like kind of quiet. And we had a basement that we would have like more punk shows, but we had like Mm. a big grand hall because it was this old schoolhouse. That's fantastic. And we'd be like, everybody shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, And Laura doing stuff at this church that they were letting her basically take over this basement and throw shows um, was real similar. Um, So that actually leads me to, I meet Laura. I meet that guy Griff through Laura. Mm -hmm um and more or less and we uh end up going on this sailing trip together and legendary sailing trip we were both bad sailors but we were on this famous boat and uh the goal was to sail from where to where from hawaii to seattle or bellingham um and the boat was very old. It was famous in that it was like, it was manned by the first boy to sail around the world alone, the 16 year old kid named Robin Lee Graham. And the boat was called the Dove. Yeah. And so that is how our band got the name uh, Dovekins, is because we had this joke of being like these just sissy pirates that were on this boat called the Dove and nobody took us serious because our boat name was so flowery. Um, but we are actually like cold-blooded murderers, but everybody, you know, this was our joke that we had on the boat Yeah, is that nobody took us serious as like real pirates. And that was where the joke name Dovkins arose from. So we just were writing sea shanties at the time. Yeah. Um, 15 years too soon. (laughs) Now that she, sea shanties just had their TikTok heyday. Yeah. Um, You're the historian stealth because I, I've known Griff for, I don't know how long, 12 years. And I interviewed him and Laura when you had your reunion uh, show at um, the Mercury. And they both have their strong opinions sort of, of why Dufkins broke up and things like that, but they don't have, they don't seem to have the history the way you do. Uh, Griff is a visionary. Yeah. But his memory is not um I mean my I don't remember where I yeah put my keys, but I do remember long term. Very specific dates. Mm-hmm. Um I mean yeah, the day that we played at the Mercury when I met Dorota, I do know this is April uh 24th, 2010 and yeah. so that's why when we did this show January 2020 you know or yeah yeah, 2020 that's right yeah uh right before the pandemic it was our 10-year anniversary but i was also like oh this is good to remember because it's actually my wife and i's 10-year anniversary from when we met at the mercury and so i was really distracted that night being like this is such a special night for me (laughs) yeah Um, it was a special night in general i just feel like like anybody who knows of colorado music was there and there were a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a long time who were there and they made me remember stuff like, you know, Astroland and stuff yeah. like that. It was a, yeah. it was a really special night. Um, I was surprised at how, like, I mean, there were people that I associated so much with that band that I just hadn't seen in years. Yeah. And it was, it was really sweet to even like, you know, so many of my bandmates coming out, um, the Lumineers bandmates and new friends who had never heard the music coming out mm. and being like, why are there so many people here? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 
and so it was that was a a good night and then we once again broke up again right after that only to probably do it again in 10 years so hopefully it's not another 10 years before <laughs> you do a dubkin show i was thinking I, you'd come back every year and do just one show at the mercury laura and uh griff were so sick they yeah, had griff was 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 really fucking sick oh man he could barely sing so i started singing some of his songs halfway through the set um yeah. and i definitely i never had the angelic voice of the two of us like he did um but yeah lauren griff both were so sick they had this weird flu and yeah. sometimes i wonder about which flu oh well it was january 2020 so a little early but it everyone yeah. after that show also i mean even for just a flu everyone got sick after that i mean if you now that i know now that i've heard so much information yeah. about how super spreading works i'm yeah. like that was some sort of flu super spreader now it was griff I, who started the coronavirus actually it all stemmed <laughs> from him exactly yeah so uh, we're gonna pause here okay. and say that the uh the crazy intention of the show or at least the angle of this show is to imagine that you are stranded in Colorado somewhere. It, it might be a, a, a Pooter Canyon. Uh, you never know. And okay. um, uh, completely alone. So unfortunately, um, not only are you not, are you not with your wife and, and baby, but they may have been eaten by zombies. It's possible. You don't okay. know. Sad to say. Um, and there's nothing in uh, this cabin except food, water, and a crank-powered Victrola. And you can bring five vinyl albums with you. So at this point, I'd like to ask you for one of those albums. But like, my life is like very sad at this point, right? Right, yeah. I mean, are you the type that listens to really sad music when shit is sad? Or do you like to listen to happy music to pull you out of it? I'm the kind of person who listens to Time Out of Mind by Bob Over Dylan, and over. I see. If, if I'm sad. So it's like, oh yeah, let's go for, you know. Do you ever really listen to You're Happy? That record? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I, mm. I don't, I don't like happy music in general though. I don't, I don't like things that are nice. I don't like yeah, nice right. places. I don't like nice, uh, nice music. <laughs> Have you been to the Ward Library? Yeah. Yeah. This is what I'm imagining. I think that, I don't know that they have a hand crank um, Victrola, but it's kind of similar in that regard to mm -hmm. being just a very remote space. I mean, if That's... I was trapped forever in a zombie apocalypse and mm -hmm. I was stuck in the word library, I would be quite happy with how my life had turned out. That's a place um, that I often, you know, when I'm setting the stage, I often say, imagine Ward. I mean, that would be a place. Right. You know. um, okay. One album. Um, I recently it's it's the album that i've spent the most money on and i don't like buy records for the sake of like collecting mm -hmm. and i don't even want to buy expensive records and if somebody's like i have the original da 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 i'm like great i want to buy the reissue and just listen to it on vinyl because mm -hmm. that is um inexpensive and you get the same result which is i just want to like i i have a great vinyl collection and i love listening to vinyl but i um Wait, hand crank, which means you have to crank it the whole time? Not the whole time. Um, 
um i mean i could be completely wrong and and maybe this this shows my my lack of of knowledge of antiques you know but i think that you crank it up and then it plays and okay let's assume you gotta crank that it more great let's yeah. assume that kind of like um cutting firewood yeah you gotta right. do the work yeah exactly payoff yeah okay um then I'm going to stick to my original because it's kind of a dancey record and I just wouldn't want to like have a dancey record that you had to hand crank. You know what I mean? Right. While you're listening to it. Yeah. While you're listening. Exactly. That would be a different record. Um, and I know you're not asking for two, but that record would be. Let's do the rain. first two. You can say that. Didn't, didn't it rain would be my sad record that I would need to sit there and crank. And the only way to listen is if I was sitting there with my ear up to it like this, it, let's assume that that's how the Victrola works. And you can't, as soon as you let go, the music stops. Yeah. Or it goes, Ooh. so it would be, um, Didn't It Rain by Songs Ohio, uh, wow. Jason, Jason Molina. Sad as shit. Saddest record. I love it. Um, if you don't know it, you too will love it. Yeah. Well, I just started, uh, um, a lot of people listening to the show have been saying, uh, where's the Spotify playlist for the show? So mm -hmm. uh, Jason Molina is going to be added to. Okay that for anybody including well, me who haven't heard that you, it's really the b-side of this record i can listen to on repeat sometimes <laughs> i'll drive four hours into this town that i live in from la and i um will just listen to these three songs on the b-side on repeat and i fucking love that and i don't know why i never get sick of it so that's one that's my sad record okay but i think if i'm stuck and i maybe i'm snowed in and i need to do some calisthenics and i i have a sad record that gets me moving even if I'm just like, oh, like zombie dance. Um, and that record is the expensive one that I spent money on is uh, Dreams by The Whitest Boy Alive. I've never heard this one either. Mm. What's it's, it like? It's blue and groovy. Yeah. It's, um. did you know this guy, Erland Oya, who was um, Kings of Convenience? No. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it's his, one of his side projects. It's like a three-piece stripped down kind of um almost like disco nouveau norwegian disco record sweet from the early 2000s Colorado Mushrooms is a Brighton-based farm-to-chef operation that was founded in 2019 by two friends who have quickly found a home for their exquisitely tasty mushrooms at beloved Colorado restaurants all along the Front Range. More than half of the mushrooms in the United States come from Pennsylvania and can be weeks old before they reach your plate, but Colorado Mushrooms are often served same-day fresh. Ask your favorite restaurants if they serve Colorado Mushrooms, which include Blue Oyster, Lion's Mane, Black King, Piopinos, and more. Get in touch at coloradomushroomsllc.com or find Colorado Mushrooms on Facebook and Instagram. Anyway, Dupkin's forms, um, and in my recollection, uh, takes off really fast. Is, uh, is, that, is that accurate? At that time, you know, we had this goal that we wanted to play the tour de fat. Right. And that's like, that was like our, like, if we can do that in our life, we've made it as musicians. And we just, we were like Fort Collins based a couple of us. 
we just drank their beer constantly anyway. We were obsessed with the Tour de Fat when we weren't playing it. And so when they invited us to play it, I think because we, what happened was someone bailed. We had met the person and we were like, listen, if there's ever a chance, mm -hmm. we will do anything. And there, were, there was one Tour de Fat in Boise, Idaho, that they were like, look, the band got sick. If you guys can get here literally by like, in like a few days or whatever, this is the one show. If you guys can get here, you guys can do the Tour de Fat here. And it was kind of like, who's going to cover this shift? Like mm -hmm. Griff and Blake were working at the Montessori's and I was a, probably somewhere in like Southern Colorado researching Kerouac and their Laura was like, I have so many other projects that I'm working on this week. Why would I drop? Anyway, we drop everything. We travel overnight um, listening to one of my favorite albums, Built to Spill, There's Nothing Wrong with Love. Um, and we're plowing through the night. Everybody's sleeping in the back of Laura's van. And we show up there at like eight or nine in the morning. Um, and we have to set up by 11. So like just, I have not slept at all. And we set up and we're like, God, this is stupid that we have to set up by 11 and play at one or, you know, we're like going to be the first band on and we're like, shit, no one's even here yet. You know, there's the bike parade. Have you, have you been to a tour de fat? No. Uh -uh. Oh, okay. So mm -hmm. new Belgium, you know, new Belgium. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. That tire, they do this giant bike parade in Fort mm -hmm. Collins. And then they started doing this in all these different cities over the summer. And then the bike parade ends at this stage and there's music and dancing and da, 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 da. And they're all pro bikes and there's bike contests and there's bike giveaways and there's talking about beer and they do like a, you know, a, track stand contest while chugging that kind of mm -hmm. stuff and so um uh we play at one in the afternoon or whatever and we uh bring the stage down like it, we just were like putting every ounce of like our delirious underslept yeah you know hippie twig bodies into this performance and we were dancing so hard and we were like had these people like ran up and were like just dancing on the stage with us that the stage um collapsed truly legendary yeah and the guy uh mateo who who set it up was like that was like super dangerous you shouldn't you guys were like kind of really shouldn't have been bringing other people up like the, there was a weight limit da, 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 da. um but that was one of the craziest performances we've ever seen here and the next year the following year he was like come do the entire 15 dates with us okay um, and so that was yeah 2009 so then 2010 we did the tour de fat mm -hmm. and did so we just loved it and that was like yeah. our goal we, it was a really happy year and in between every saturday show that we had we were just playing shows in little house shows in towns mm -hmm. and uh playing like three or four shows a week and yeah. just traveling with their funding and it was uh, so lucky um, but if you could be a band that didn't have to worry as much about money, that could mm -hmm. just play house shows, everybody at the house show is going to love you that much yeah. more. Um, and I think I don't want to be the guy who says, listen, play for free because it helps. But that is kind of how I feel. We found our success. Was you either have to be young and have all this energy in the world and, basically no responsibilities or 
incredibly band, wealthy. Yeah, some bands are these silver spoons, and 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 people are like, how do they get a van, and how do they do this tour, and how do they? Well, yeah. they had the money to do it. But I mean, Mumford and Sons, I think three out of four of them, their parents were uh, self-made billionaires. Yeah. Their first record before they were signed to a label uh, cost a hundred thousand oh dollars to make a record, and they were just like, "Let's just make a little hobby record for a hundred grand." Is insane to me, Mumford and Sons. Yeah. Um, not to, you know, I'm just saying that isn't what happened. Yeah, it's reality. Us, and that's that's also not what happened with the Lumineers, right? But um, yeah, that I think the tour de fat was a bit of that. Like we could make a lot of, we could make money go a long way as a bunch of scrappy. We were also traveling in a veggie van. So we were filling up with French fry oil so we could drive. (laughs) Um, There are a a few things that were special um, about Dubkins. One of them is that it was a three front people um, at least. I mean, and, um, you know this this thing where the whole is is I don't know if I want to say better than the sum of its parts because you're all really good on your own, you know. But it's all of these different singer songwriters coming together in one band. And the other thing is what you've alluded to, where it was <laughs> similar to the energy of a band like Fishbone or the Clash or um, Arcade Fire, where the energy of the people on stage is almost like an army that is um, not fighting against you, but I guess with you. And you just want to be a part of the uh, like swinging from the chandeliers, breaking the stage energy. And yeah. when you did your reunion show, you literally hung from the, the rafters, the rafters in that. That was like, Oh, this is, you're still you're still like that though hands were black 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 after that like never better you've never been dusted there at the mercury what a beautiful venue that is favorite place in denver um but despite all of the um intoxicate intoxicating and uh alluring exciting energy of of dubkins it was only a band for two years Uh, three, yeah, but two solid. The first year was quieter. Um, I mean, nobody knew of us as much. We weren't yeah. playing shows actively. Yeah, I would say we. Yeah, we started in like the songs were written in late two thousand eight, and our mm-hmm. last show was late two thousand eleven. So, and you made a, one proper studio album. Is that right? Yeah. So. Two singles mm-hmm. and one live album. And the live album really captures the sound and the energy. It's wonderful. And I don't know if it's on all the things. It's on Bandcamp. Um oh I don't yeah, I don't think it's on Spotify. I don't know. I think we mm-hmm. just only recently before this show we put that stuff up. Um, but we also um I don't know, like you know, this show in Boulder. That's coming up. Um, it, have you been to the Chautauqua Theater? I have not been to that little one. No, it holds about 200 people. Not even, 150. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's where I'm going to play in Boulder. Right. 
it's a beautiful space. And I was thinking, oh, I should get the band to come in. Um, because Blake and Max and I continued playing together. Okay. Um, you know, Laura and I continued playing solo shows together. And every time Laura and I are at the same spot, you know, we're gonna play old Dovkin songs. Griff mm -hmm. and I too. Um most of us I don't know what everybody's reasoning is for why the band split up. But um, you know, when we get together, the vibe is always like, wait, why did we do this again? Right, right. Um, why didn't I mean why did we break up? You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it feels good again. Um, but anyway, yeah, Max and Blake and I kind of kept in touch the strongest because we kept playing together. Yeah. And they were playing my songs with me. Um and so uh yeah that we were going to play at this Chautauqua theater um mm. but i think that they're they're trying to deter me from having a live band because it's such a like it's a, a truly an old theater so i think drums mm. and bass really just boom up the room i don't think they want you to swing from the, the ceiling there either i will do that <laughs> solo and i plan to do that solo all right uh, yeah, I love. I, I I mean, I haven't played solo in Colorado in years, and just by you, myself, just me playing alone. What um, are you gonna do? I want to try to get as many instruments as I can mm -hmm. on stage, and try to play all of them. I don't know. I I'm I'm a lot more rambly alone. Mm -hmm. Stories and da 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 da. I like to kind of make it immersive. If I have to play for seventy five minutes, then. Hopefully it's not only music. Right. Uh, work on my bad stand-up comedy routine. Uh, you must have dad jokes by now too, you know. So many. Yeah. Um. So so I'm gonna do that, but I also have all these new songs. I have, I over the pandemic I recorded um, at least I I wrote at least a hundred bad songs. Wow. Um. I was going to. I started. At one point, a few weeks in, I was like, I am going to go crazy. So I started writing a song a day. And I'm like, I'm just going to do this until the pandemic ends. Haha. Mm -hmm. um, -ha. And then thinking, you know, we all thought it was going to be like, oh, this will be a shitty month or two. Right. Um, and so I was writing tunes and then got to a um, uh, hundred and was like, I don't think this is ending anytime soon. I'm going to stop because it started to feel more like a chore mm -hmm. and less fun um so i took those songs and i kept over the remaining year and a half that existed after that hunt those first hundred days or whatever i um would do weeks here and there where i would write a song so i probably wrote like 150 tunes over the pandemic uh -huh. and about 30 of them i really liked worse than baseball statistics <laughs> um, yeah, that's like a, a 200 average, average or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's bad. Um, but it's also more than I've ever written, more good songs than I've ever written in like a two-year period. 30 songs in two years is actually 30 good songs that I were like, these are keepers. Yeah. So that was, I think, you know, it was like the photography approach. Um, Just yeah. and you get, you know, a few good shots. Um. And so I started recording them when Lumineers started touring again. If we had two or three days off, I'd just pop into a studio and was like, I should probably record these ones that I liked. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so uh, we were always really inspired by this guy, Paleo. If you oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, who did Amazing. the Song of Day album. Uh, he played at Astroland. That's why I That's why I remember him. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And he played, yeah, 365, a song, an album with 365 songs on it. And then he was like, okay, this is a little overwhelming. So even he put out a best of, of like 17 songs. And each song on that record is like an impeccably written song recorded, you know, on his laptop in his car in yeah. the middle of Kansas. But the the songs are so fucking good on his best of. So I was thinking, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take these 30 songs. And then I actually just didn't, I didn't have that much time that I was going to put into re-recording each of them. So it just worked out to start doing little um, EPs. Mm-hmm. And so now I have three, like three, three to five song EPs recorded from this last tour. And I'm, I'm leaving in two days to go to New Orleans and finish a full length album of those songs of, of another 10 songs. So I'll have like 25 songs in my back pocket. Yeah. Um, as well as a couple albums like on Bandcamp that I haven't um, released. Yeah. So I'm, I keep thinking, oh, I really got to start putting this stuff out more. Um, Cause that's what you got to do now is put it on Spotify and yeah. Not to make money, but. Well, no, no one's going to hear it unless you put, put it. No one, yeah. No one makes money, <laughs> but no one hears it. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that's my plan now is to like do the part of music that I'm bad at. Yeah. Business. But tell me um, about, I I remember there was a band I used to be in that I co-founded called the Yoppers. Do you remember the Yoppers? Yeah. Yeah. So. I didn't uh, realize. Sick. <laughs> and Griff, you know, right as Dubkins was ending, um, he used to open for us. He opened for us a bunch of times. And um, the Yoppers played at South by Southwest the first time, the first time that we played there. And we uh, walked over to see uh, uh, this band everybody was talking about, uh, the Lumineers. And they were playing in the in the back of a place called um, the Beauty Bar in Austin. Yeah. And I thought like, uh, uh, they're pretty good. Under like a white white tent. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you, in the backyard or something. Yeah. Uh, you walked in, into this little bar, through the bar, and then in the back, you know, right. it was set up. Yeah. And they took off um, after that. And so how did you make that transition up from Dovkins to this band that was about to take over the world at the time? Um, we didn't know. If they had known they were going to take over the world, I don't know if they would have picked me. <laughs> um, we played a lot of shows together, us. Yeah. And so Dovkins and Lumineers, first show Lumineers played, quote, as the Lumineers in Colorado, was um, in a loft in Rhino hmm. with Dovkins at this party that we were playing. Yeah. And we were like, listen, people are getting restless. Do you mind if we just play first and you guys play You guys play second? And they're like, you fucking serious? Like nobody's ever even heard of us. And we're like, acoustic? We're like, oh yeah, we don't have a PA. That's okay, right? <laughs> um, which is funny because to them it was like, this is the shittiest gig we're ever going to play. Um, 
but every single person was at that party like all of paper bird was at this party mm-hmm. um all the ian ian cook you know all these musicians at that time watch this band play and be like oh fuck these kids are these kids are good um and dovekins we just did the same thing we always do we were playing naked we you know mm-hmm. kicked our hole kicked a hole through the wall that kind of shit mm-hmm. um and then we were like okay good luck we were like literally <laughs> sitting there naked we're like good luck play the next set and they did really well and played um played a good set um and that was brandy what now wes's wife that was like her party so that was also like where he met his wife so i can never feel too bad yeah um that they wrote me on myspace and they were like do you know where to play and i was like i don't know if you guys want to play this party we're playing next week Mm -hmm. you guys can and they're like sure panic mode like fuck that we we are not prepared to play a real show yet Mm -hmm. um and this was just wes and jer playing the two of them yeah so then i started playing with them sometimes I, i i would take them to the um you know Dovekins would always play on the Pearl Street Mall and we, Lumineers would go over there and I'd have the accordion or a clarinet and we'd like, I'd learn their songs and we'd play. So we played a lot together just as buds. Mm-hmm. We were also all playing at the Meadowlark for this open mic that was there with, um, do you remember Abe Abraham too? Um, I don't think so. Oh, every song of his is spectacular. Um, he... Yeah, what a what a sweetie. Um, was in like the paper bird scene for a while. Yeah, d- dated Esme for a few years and uh, wrote some of the best songs about her. She's uh, a great. She's muse. a muse. She's a great muse, but it, mm-hmm. you know, great better songwriter. But right. second, she's a great muse. Yeah. Um, and I did you know I dated Jenny, her sister, for years as well. So no. Um, Jenny Patterson. So that's what you know. The Dovekins and Paper Bird were basically all familyed up at that point. Yeah. Um, Griff ended up marrying Jenny. That was a thing. Oh. Um, yeah. So tell me about. Uh, well, the other thing at that time was this uh, this term that was uh, that was going around, which unfortunately I think um, has kind of died. But long long spoon. Yeah. The, uh, Laura's, uh, I wouldn't call it a label, record, communal mm-hmm. record thing. Um, that was yeah. an actual, you know, idea and an ethos that really, really resonates to the the long spoon, the idea of that. Yeah. Do you have that? Um, you mean the the philosophical mm-hmm. or the, the table? Yeah. Serving each other. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's not. <laughs> really how it works most of the time especially in the industry i mean if you remember that first compilation Mm -hmm. it had um a song of griffs on there raining buttons but it also had um that ended up being you know a dovekins tune but it had uh break man by nathaniel rateliff that was going Mm -hmm. by the wheel then yeah you know and um gregory Mm -hmm. allen isakov and uh, Ian Cook, like these musicians that have since made it, you know, in international acclaim, um, were all on this really sweet small record. And bands that, you know, we aren't still a thing, but were amazing at that yeah. time. Um, but uh, anyway, with Lumineers, uh, yeah. yeah, I jumped on this tour with them right before that. 
uh, more or less before that South by Southwest tour. Um, and that was kind of my first tour playing piano with them. In 2011, I was playing bass in their band mm-hmm. just to kind of fill in for a while while Dufkins was on a bit of a hiatus. Um, if I, I wonder sometimes if people thought that me joining the Lumineers aided in the breaking up of the Lumineers or made, I mean, of Dovkins. Right. Um, but if Dovkins wanted to keep going at that time, we were far more successful than the Lumineers. And I probably would have just been like, oh, no way. Like I should stay with this thing that, that has all this potential. Right. Um, and it was like, you know, my stuff, my songs, my, my heart. Um, and so sometimes I feel defensive. Right. Of that, that mentality, because Ultimately, it just is like, this is what happens when you put a band together with like three or four or five front people. I think that is the main... Uh, consensus. Consensus of what happened is, is just, yeah. When you do that, when you have a two, let alone three front people, singer-songwriters, you kind of fly too close to the sun. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of, you know. And we thought even with the Beatles that there appeared to be a homeostasis with um, George and Paul, even though we know well now that there wasn't. Right. And people would say, oh man, but then when you start getting um, George songs, you know, it, and you start to incorporate a third songwriter, mm-hmm. that's when it got messy. And you watch, I don't know if you watched Get Back, but they I've really- seen a little of it. I, I mean, I, I think the main thing um, I take from um, that documentary is that it wasn't Yoko's fault. She's just sitting in the corner hanging out, and you know, and so all these memes and you know, just over the right. years, oh Yoko, this Yoko, that. It's like I'm know. not saying it was either, but she was one of the producers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Her and George, I think, were the last like living producers of that documentary, mm-hmm. and uh, they looked the least to blame at times right that's Um, true yeah it it was easy to be like man george is such a baby Mm -hmm. look at him hanging out with all these Hare krishnas what a weenie yeah (laughs) um but in my mind as the diplomat i'm like it was all of ye it was everybody yeah it was the Hare krishnas sitting in the corner (laughs) so you end up um as a full-time member of the lumineers when uh, at that point, South by Southwest, when shit, we were like, oh shit, stuff's blowing up. Yeah. Um, I checked in mm-hmm. with Dubkins after that and was like, are we going to go on tour again? And everyone was like, I don't know. We still need more time. Griff like still hadn't really said that he needed to do his own thing. And so we were all kind of waiting to see what he had to say. And so at that point, I was like, then I guess I'm just going to keep touring with this band. And I mean, it was by the end of 2012. So, but South by Southwest, Hohe hadn't even come out yet. Right. I remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it wasn't even like the the fan base. I don't even understand what they were like. Um, or, or sorry, Hohe had come out. My bad. The album hadn't come out yet. Right, the album. But, yeah. But the fan, the fan base was like literally going off of one song that was on heart of dixie and there were maybe 500 self-burned cds floating around america at that point yeah um that and we then it was had. everywhere 
we all sat in Griff's basement one time using all of his parents' computers to burn an entire tour's worth of albums for the Lumineers. Um, and so, yeah, at that point, I just, uh, yeah, that was 10 years ago. Now I'm still here. Yeah. Was there a point like with Nathaniel where all of a sudden overnight, you know, you have to rebook the tour, you know, because it's not going to be clubs anymore. Our, in 2012, we were playing with a band who's, it don't matter who, but um, we were opening for them. And it was so clear that the crowd was coming for us and not mm -hmm. them that halfway through they switched us to be the headliners. And that is the most awkward <laughs> remainder of a tour with people that you have to be like, haha, I don't know. Here we are. <laughs> Business decisions, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we like all of a sudden ended up playing bigger rooms because we were just like opening for this band. Mm -hmm. Um which was just an interesting and in some ways, a fortune for us. Yeah. Give me, if you can, I should say, please, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say give me, but please, if you would give me your number three album that you would want in this cabin. And I already said it. Number three. Yeah. What was number three? Built to spill. There's nothing wrong with love. Oh, that's number three. A, I gave you a wink that the rest of oh, the, listeners, yes, yes, yeah. the rest of the listeners couldn't see. <laughs> Built uh, to spill. Um, it, it sounds like that's been a really important artist in your life. Yeah. I mean, uh, my wife and I both radiate, I think we have different favorite albums, but we know each other's records front to back. I can sing every word or so I thought I put it to the test recently and you get thrown into a B side and you're like, oh, I don't know exactly every mm -hmm. lyric that Doug Marsh is singing, but I love built to spill and I've seen them almost more than any other any band that I'm not friends with or I'm not touring with. So is that a band that you have shared a stage with or met? I, I've met him. Yeah. Doug Marsh, real sweetie. I, I met him because I made a point to meet him, like going up after a show yeah. backstage. I, I we played a festival that they were playing. Right. Um so yeah, I, I got a chance to shake his hand. But nothing good is ever said in those moments um i got his email and have already badgered him once about letting our band heavy gus open for them oh yeah because it, it would be a it would be a very good fitting opener we would for built to spill um so all in due time it'll happen Every goal I've ever had as a musician has come true, which is only the one I want to play tour to fat. Yeah. <laughs> everything else I've been completely baffled and unexpected by, which is everything that happened after that. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, and I've, I've talked about this with, with people in the music scene around here, you know, who know you and uh, do you have the perfect kind of fame? I know what you mean. 
Um, the grass is always greener though, so I don't think mm. so. Like Wes of the Lumineers, Bleed Singer has, you know, a lot of songwriting royalties and money. Um, so sometimes I think, man, wouldn't it have been a little cooler to be more famous and live in a bigger house that has more separation to my studio, for example, mm -hmm. than the family. Um, but I don't know if there's a curse to it. I think Wes handles it really well. Like he yeah. goes out in Denver and people recognize him and he's always very humble and sweet and is happy to take a photo and tells me a story about people being like excuse me um can you take a picture and they give the phone and he's like oh of course and they're like oh no sorry i i don't know who you are can you take a picture of us of us yeah and uh so that classic like i think that's really sweet and um humiliating and right. the fact that that can still happen is a good level of fame um so sometimes i'm like ah, i wish i was just a little more famous um, but I also think I'm in a sweet spot and I don't have to deal with as much business and anxiety yeah. and I'm not nervous as much if this, you know, the fourth Lumineers album doesn't chart in the way the old ones did or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have that with my own music. I have anxieties and fears right. and insecurities. Um, and I don't think now that I see that directly, that doesn't go away once you are a bigger musician. You know, I've met, well, like, you know, we, we opened for you 2 Yeah. And I don't think Bono is insecure about his stats. <laughs> um, but he might be the only one. Yeah. And that might just be a Bono thing. So I don't know. The answer is, is the perfect level of thing being Bono? I don't um, think so. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. Um, somewhere in here there's that funny thing with like all of them Ratliff or Gregory or Lumineers where as soon as you start to make it in a small community people that loved you can really like talk some shit when you turn your back oh god and uh, it's funny now you know having done tours with Greg and having done tours with Ratliff to hear that same story no matter how big they're all now, you know, us three bands are all in like kind of different levels, mm -hmm. but I think we're all rising to, you know, a similar world of this era, all kind of spawning from the same thing. And I think we're all going to end in the same place. Um, Gregory and us and, and Ratliff. And I think, I hope that all of those shit talkers will find someone new. It'll happen no matter what. I, I think I did it with the, flow bots and i think i you know i think we all did it at some point what's it like uh, uh, touring the world with i mean my um image from the outside is that sure you know there's greg and and there's nate but i kind of envision you traveling the world and i'm having more fun with jeb and with <laughs> these other people you know uh, what's it like touring the world with the side men sort of the the you know so the drummer in Greg's band is uh, Max Barcelo who was from Dufkins in Dufkins so yeah. and he was the best man in my wedding mm. um and when that tour was set up that we were going to be touring with um 
with Gregory. I I truly have never been more excited for like a tour. And like I loved Andrew Bird and Lumineers toured with Andrew Bird, and I was mm. like, this is so fucking sick. But it's not like where I'm like having fun at the end of every show and like throwing back a few drinks with the guy yeah. who's like awkwardly genius. You mm. know what I mean? Um, but with Max, it's like every night I no longer felt alone on tour and had right. a best friend out there, and it was like the best tour that's I've ever been on ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, hanging out with Jet, like I was just riding on their bus sometimes for fun because I love them. Mm-hmm. And Max was coming with us, or they did a tour with us where we were like panic mode taking some private jets because of COVID fears at one point. Mm-hmm. And you know, we were like, bring the Gregory band on our private jet with us. Um, and that only could all exist with um that kind of friendship right. relationship with them. Yeah. We wouldn't have done that with Andrew Bird, don't tell him. Right. Um, so that tour was like fantastic. And I, I think like that relationship between these bands, as well as Ratelift too, like let me keep him incorporated because I think like, again, all of these paths people move distant and stuff but i think we all start to realize we're way more the same and like i have so much adoration for ratelift's keyboard player uh mark schusterman oh yeah yeah and so him and i talk quite a bit and when we were on tour when lumineers and ratelift was touring together um mark and i would hang out every day and we we had a blast um so it's one of those things where it's rare to have that kind of fun but specifically yeah that Gregory tour man was fucking good Steve and I were going and playing um disc golf a bunch too yeah and um and he they're also all just fantastic musicians mm-hmm. and it was cool to explore like their solo projects um Jeb just had a kid the same age yeah. as mine and yeah. so like, I could relate to him in a way that I had not really related to him in the past which was just like we're both like clowns you know we're both kind of jokey um but he had this like the sweetest side to him that i just wanted to let it like felt so at home to be on tour with all of them because of that so yeah love them you'll see we'll do more shows in all the different iterations yeah um, with them okay album number four um bjork vespertine why? I, I I always put that one in. Well, I love her and her voice. And I just don't think that even in the future will there ever be an album uh, like it. And so I always think of that as a great in the number five because you can be like, man, this is my favorite record right now. And then over time, you can get, you could find something that kind of like uh, takes that place. And, and I think that record is like flawlessly beautiful. And um, I go back and forth. I I really love her music, and I go back and mm. forth with a lot of her music. But um, that one's so uh, gentle, but moody and spooky, and also like very sexy. I don't know if I'm trying to be sexy in my z- zombie cabin, but 
Well, it sounds like it's an album that um, you wouldn't mind listening to over and over and over again. Yeah. Indefinitely. How do you balance being um, a member of a band, you know, with uh, wanting to do uh, uh, your own thing and uh, and move your solo career forward? Sure. Um, you know, I found um, uh, my needs are like heart oriented, family oriented. They're also creative oriented and then they're also like realistic oriented. Like I need to make money and I need to eat food and I need to provide for my family. Mm -hmm. um, I also like need to, it's really important that I feel like I'm in a community and I'm have like, I'm around my family and I'm able to like be around other musicians and I get a like, it was so valuable to like be on a bus of people that you could kind of just say anything with and um, they can know weird, deep secrets about you and you can fart around them and that kind of shit. Um, so that's really important. And then third being that creative side. Um, I'm coming more and more to terms after 10 years that my creative side, I was also in theater in high school, you know? And I think that's a funny thing to come back around to being like, oh, this isn't too different than musical theater. Um, because in the Lumineers, I do hold a role of being a um, hype man, you know? A showman. And look, NWA has members that are known very well for their lyrics, and then there's members that are known very mm -hmm. well for uh for just a good fucking voice to no. Yeah. Uh so it's good to be a hype man, and I think I'm starting to feel more pride about um that being a talent as opposed to an insecurity around it. Um, which has taken 10 years to feel like, oh, I'm more than this. I'm a songwriter and I'm a talented musician. And I hope that people know that sometimes when a crowd only sees me as, say, a, um, you know, a, a ham on stage or whatever. Um, and then I thought, no, I can prove that to myself. Like I can go home and I can write a good song and I can know to myself that that's good. And if I ever get my shit together and release all of these songs, then I hope other people will know that I've put a lot of time and energy into being, um, you know, the 10,000 hours. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's good or people will like it. I know that, but I, I think it's good and I'm proud of it now. But it's important to me that I keep doing that no matter what's going on yeah. in the years or this project with my wife, all that. I'm I'm always going to be writing songs, whether or not I release them to anyone, because it's important to me to have like a creative um what's that thing in a fish tank? A filter. Yeah, but yeah. I I don't want to say look, I don't have a filter. <laughs> no, I, uh, uh, yeah, that that that's right. It is a filter. But then it's a pump, a filter and a pump and right. I put the clean water back in or a swimming pool or all that. Like that's yeah. really important for me to have that so there's no stagnance and creativity for me. I still travel with a guitar. Our tour 
that Lumineers did in Europe where we were on a jet. I didn't even bring a suitcase. I wore one suit because we had to pack so light and everybody was freaked out about airports and COVID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so I just brought a guitar and one suit that I was wearing on my back. Um, And I got so stinky, but I wrote some really good songs. That sounds like that went back to the old days when you're sleeping outside at churches in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, Still stinky. (laughs) Lumineers had like a good year. You know, people said, oh, wow, you guys don't know what it's... I mean, we had a really solid stinky year before we even had like a 15 passenger van where it was just a minivan and it was like staying in on people's floors with no heat like cold cold year and not making like i got really good at dumpster diving and uh i don't know i i like sometimes again i said this earlier but i feel defensive to be like we worked hard and a lot of bands do that and they don't get to the place that lumineers got yeah. Um, but I also um we worked really hard at it. And I think sometimes people don't see that. Or it looks more like a quick rise to fame. Yeah. Um and in a way, yes, it was. Wesley and Jeremiah were writing songs together for another um five years before they even made it to Colorado. And nobody sees that part. You know, the Beatles were writing songs, you know. Paul and John were playing together for five years before they even got Ringo into the band. There are these bands that are like, yeah, it's a five-year overnight success or a 10-year overnight success. Right. And I think that's where like so many stories are and so many, all the material for songs still exist in that realm. Nathaniel Um, is like a a 20-year overnight success. I mean, all of his bands that he was in, punk bands and solo mm. projects and country projects and all of the iterations of music that he did. Um, I don't think it was a matter of this music being better or more anything. It was just timing. It was just yeah that it finally worked out in that realm. But every song he ever wrote before that was just as fucking good. Um, and then the uh, people who you know happened to tune in that night that he was on Jimmy Fallon and see that just think oh this this guy just started oh, right. today he literally right. started a band today i mean that's an interesting thing about the uh you know best new artist category at the grammys even we you know lumineers were nominated for it oh yeah um, but at that point had been playing together for 7 years yeah um and i'm trying to think of you know, Megan Trainer had been writing for ages. Mm-hmm. Frank Ocean, same thing, like the amount of mixtapes that he put out. Um, the best new artist category is such a odd misnomer um, that the people like adhere to this thing. And yeah, I guess it's like, it's all about the quick rise. I forgot who's doing this year. I don't even know. I'm not sure. Um, Maggie Rogers was nominated last year. And yeah, I think what that award is kind of defined by now is, you know, best um, artist who just released their first major label album. And that might be somebody's first album ever, or it might be their seventh album ever. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, maybe this album that 
<laughs> you're making might end up like that. Oh, thanks. And people will see you as a as a new artist. I really like it. I hope I hope people hear it at least just to hear my take on things, which is yeah. why people should listen to all sorts of music, I guess. I don't think mine's any more important, but I do like I mean, yeah. Every song is about the same fucking thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. One of the same 10 things. People just find new ways of saying it and I, I don't know if mine's any better, but I, I really like the record, so we'll see. I'll send you it this. You. Yeah, I, I can't wait to hear it. I was going to ask, you know, you got this show in in Boulder in uh, February at the uh, uh, Chautauqua House is what they call it. Right. Yes. And then in April at the Bluebird uh, Festival. But what about the album? Do you, you know when it's going to be released? No plans at all. No. Um but probably not within the year. Oh, who's going to play? I still, have, I still have these EPs I should release with singles on them, et cetera. Yeah. I still have that album that I never put onto Spotify. That's on Bandcamp, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I keep thinking, ah, oh, I should do that. I mean, I can do it all at once too, but I'll probably start soon in the new year. I mean, that's kind of my goal is to start maybe every couple of months putting out an EP. Um, Cause they all exist now. So, yeah. I hope you do that. Thanks. Yeah, man. Griff, th- th- you should listen to the album Heavy Gust that I did with um, my wife because Gr- Griff helped a lot on that record. Oh, yeah. He's a songwriter on some of, some of it. Yeah, like, you know, writing credits and all that. Mm-hmm. Job, but he, he sat in the room and brainstormed with us while we were kind of uh, workshopping a lot of those songs. Um, so it's, I bet you'd be able to hear just the dynamic of the two of us at play in some yeah. of these tunes. Um, <laughs> I guarantee it actually you, you knowing it, you personally, yeah. but I don't, I mean, no one else, I don't know what, but I think you'd be able to hear it. My favorite memory of Griff is actually a Thanksgiving at that old house on, um, on Cherryvale. And there was a game, there was a game of knockout, you know, the basketball game knockout yeah. with like 30 people. Oh, and yeah. we just went back and forth until it was only me and Griff. And we were in a zone where for, I don't know, five minutes, neither of us missed but uh, yeah. unfortunately unfortunately he won and so oh, you know, that's how it goes love that guy okay he's number five secret, album he's a secret jock see yeah uh, i would say that number five album number five last one that um, you can have there yeah i've 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 always liked um probably pixie's doolittle oh why that one um i like the yeah i like that interplay between Kim Deal and Frank Black and it happens a lot on that record but it's also just a really uh, raw record um, so that might be the, the last record that yeah That album also has a little bit of insanity on it. And I think in the situation where you're stranded. Insanity. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I can't not scream while listening to it. Um, but great record. Love it. I was lucky enough to see them at the Fillmore in Denver in 2009 when they did that entire album front to back. 
five year anniversary. I wanted yeah. to go, but yeah, oh, we were, man. um, ah, uh, ah. Yeah. I think that was Kim Deal's maybe last tour with the Pixies too. Yeah. yeah. That's, I've never seen them. And that was partially why I'm always like, eh, I've always been a huge Kim Deal fan. Um, and since you, again, if, yeah, listen, if you listen to this record of my wife and I, it's just all like breeders obsession as well. Yeah. I've seen the Pixies without her and it really surprised me how it was still musically really good, really powerful, but I missed her voice a lot. That's good to hear. I, I will. I mean, I say that now, but I'll try to see, see them. I've seen, uh, you know, these other bands in my top five in a way, four out of five. I mean, that's a better batting average than, than yeah. 200. So yeah. Exactly. One last question for you, Stealth. Yeah. You're stranded in this cabin. Sure. And you got your five records. And, and I always ask everybody, what one other item as you're maybe escaping from Boulder or Denver or somewhere and you end up in Ward, as long as you can carry it with you, what's one item you'd bring? Um, this doesn't include warm, warm clothes. It could. Uh <laughs> A slingshot. A slingshot. Yeah, I have one that I made that I, I'm really good with. I really like it. It was um, a friend of mine who lived in Boulder, um, Jack O'Neill, at the time. Well, no, he wasn't living in Boulder at the time. The last time I saw him was in Boulder, and he died when I was, uh, yeah, 22. Hmm. Um, it was the last time I saw him was in, in Boulder at Griff's house. Yeah. And, he died a few months later and we had him at his um up in ward we had his uh we had his um uh service for, for his passing oh, and wow. we, we had a 21 slingshot salute <laughs> and i made a slingshot i made everybody slingshots for, for this because him and i would make slingshots and, and so we made all these slingshots and uh i still have mine um but it also just means a lot to me. And it also um, uh, seems like it would be a handy tool for killing a rabbit if I needed to eat something. I don't know. Or I mean, kill the it might, head. It might work against a zombie if it's a good you know, headshot too. Yeah. Except for the head killed the ghoul. Good point. Yeah. Slingshot. I'm going to stick with it. Thank you so much for talking with me. And good luck with the album and the dad jokes and, and the diapers, you know. Thank you. I'll send I'll send some stuff your way. I'll send some links and stuff. So. Yeah, that sounds great, man. And like a winter loving, do you love her like I loved her in the springtime? All the summer others left the lovers for That was my chat with Stealth Ulvang of the Lumineers and also Heavy Gus now. Um, Stealth is playing Sunday, February twelfth at the uh, sort of miniature historic old Chautauqua. Uh, house in Boulder and has a bunch of other shows coming up uh, you can find on his various social media pages uh, whether it's Heavy Guts or Stealth Ulvang um, this sort of outro music happening right now is Stealth Song Springtime but um, it's actually from a live performance on a rooftop in South Africa I, um, it's got some good energy uh, th thanks again to 
Colorado Mushrooms for so generously sponsoring this episode and also providing me with some incredibly tasty mushrooms recently. You should really get some Colorado Mushrooms. Um, and I need some more. Um, we will see you um, on Mile High Stash again next Monday. Unless the zombie apocalypse actually arrives. Though only floating feathers make it further, make it better on the wing. And though all birds have feathers, but not all birds are flyers, let me tell you something, darling, that all the sap gets stronger, squirrels get tired of the 